Welcome to Passion Life Church. Good morning, Passion Life Church. Are you awake this morning? Awesome. Well, welcome to part three of this series that we've entitled, When You Pray. You know, uh, we took this, these particular three words from when Jesus talked about prayer. Because the disciples, they, when they grew up, they had recited prayers. They had learned prayers. But something happened when they started hanging out with Jesus. Because when they started hanging out with Jesus, they realized that when Jesus prayed, he prayed with power. He wasn't just like reciting words, but when Jesus prayed, there was power. And so they asked him, they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so he used these when you pray a couple of different times. And so that's why we named this series on prayer, When You Pray. Let's look at our theme verse this morning, Mark chapter 11, verse 24. And you can actually turn there because we're going to be in there just a little bit today. Mark chapter 11. Verse 24, and the Bible says this, if you can, let's read it all together. Can we do that? It says, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. Come on, can we just make it a little bit louder and let's say it again. Come on. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. You know, the disciples saw that Jesus prayed powerfully. And Jesus said, and I want to just review a little bit because we're in part three, but I want to just review just for a little bit what we've talked about. Because when Jesus responded to them, here's what he said. He says, look, when you pray, I want you to pray in this manner. And, And he said, I want you to pray our father, which art in heaven. Many of us grew up Knowing that prayer, we know it by memory. But Jesus said, when you pray, I want you to pray in this manner. In other words, here's, here's the just. Here's, here's the outline. I want you to say, our Father. You know, God loves it when we call him Father. I would say out of all of his names, he loves it when we call him Father. But here's what Jesus was saying. God wants us when we approach him, he doesn't want us to approach him with formalities. He wants us to approach him through relationship. See, religion approaches God through formalities, right? And it's almost we can get in this religious rut where we're just saying things we don't mean, we're just saying stuff. How many of you know that even the Lord's Prayer, you can just recite it and not even say it from the heart. You can just say it. Right, But Jesus is like, look, when we pray to God, he wants you to come relationally. Your position, and not about position in terms of kneeling down or whether you lay down. I'm talking about your spiritual position. He says, your spiritual position, I want you to come as sons and daughters and say, our Father, which art in heaven. Listen, he doesn't want formalities. He doesn't want you to try to pray in the King James. Oh, Lordeth, Godeth of the heavenlyeth, thank you for this timeeth in my lifeeth. Right? He's not asking for that. But I think some people think they have to pray that. Because that's how God only talks in the King James. Hello, there's other translations of the Bible, right? He wants it from the heart. And then he said this, and we talked about this. He says, I don't want you to pray. When you pray, don't pray with vain repetitions. In other words, in the Greek, that means don't pray with idle words. Don't pray with words 
that have no substance. What we said is if we're going to have effective prayer, effective prayer is earnest prayer. Earnest prayer is from the heart. In other words, Jesus was saying, I just don't want words that come out of your mouth that are not connected to your heart. I want words that are connected to your heart. And what we do is start to find with Jesus is now and even today, he starts to deal with your heart. He starts to talk about, look, I just don't want idle words. I want what's really going on in your heart. And he's going to emphasize, and you're going to see today, how much your heart matters when you pray. Can we be honest? And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But would this be true? We really don't pray for people we don't care about. Right? Now, we know we should pray for them. But in reality, if they're not on your heart, you don't pray for them. That's why Jesus says you need to pray for your enemies because what happens is your enemies are affecting your heart. And what happens and can happen in life is that we lose heart. And so what comes from our heart can just be, yeah, Lord, pray for them. And he's like, look, I don't want things that are not connected to your heart. So here's what we have to do. We have to look at our heart. And sometimes there's stuff going on in our heart that is preventing our prayer life. This is why you will find when you look at Jesus talking about prayer, he puts prayer and forgiveness together. There are many times in the Bible where you see prayer and forgiveness together. Let's read our theme verse again, and then we're going to read not only 24, we're going to read 25. But it says this, Therefore I say to you, whatsoever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. It doesn't end there. Look at verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them that your father in heaven. I want you to know something. Again, how is Jesus referring to God right here? The father. He's saying the father. He says, forgive them that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Today, I want to talk about forgiveness in prayer and why that is so important. Now, Jesus is telling us, and the Bible says, Jesus, these are his words. He says that when you forgive, right, and if you don't forgive, your Father in heaven won't forgive you. And before we really dive in, let me just say some things here real quick. And let me help you as you read the Bible. We never take one or two verses and make doctrine out of that. Let me help us understand something. People think, because they read this verse, that God is up in heaven, and when you forgive, he gives you a little injection of forgiveness. When you don't forgive, he takes his forgiveness back. So he's giving forgiveness, and then he's taking it from you. Well, there are many verses about love in the Bible. You can't just look at one verse about love and then make a whole doctrine on God's love. You have to look at all the verses. So when Jesus spoke this, listen, he had not died yet. So we and you and I are living after the cross. We are not living before the cross. And I am so thankful we are living in what the Bible calls the new covenant. You are living after the cross. There are benefits that you and I have for living after the cross that the people who live before the cross didn't have. Do you agree with that? 
So what makes me forgive? If I forgive you, am I forgiven? No, what makes me forgiven? What makes me forgiven is my faith of what Jesus did on the cross. I am forgiven because he forgave me. Can you say a good amen today? And so when you look in the Greek of what Jesus was saying here, this is what is was saying, forgive as you have been forgiven. So I'm to forgive you with the greatness that God has forgiven me. But this is what Jesus was saying regarding prayer. What Jesus was saying is before you pray, get your heart right with God and get your heart right with people. Because you know what? It's gonna affect your prayer life. In my church family, I wanna tell you, if you're not taking notes today and you don't plan on, can you just write this down? Prayer is the spiritual oxygen of the believer. It is the spiritual oxygen of the believer. And some believers are suffocating because they don't pray. And we have prayer as a privilege for us to come before God's throne and to be able to talk with God of the universe and every day be able to talk with, with God. But here's what he's saying. If you're not careful, you need to look at your heart because what's going on in your heart can not only affect your prayer life, but can actually stop your prayer life. Why? Why, Pastor Phil? Why, why, what is it about my heart that's so important in prayer? Well, let me give you four things. Number one, your heart, your heart is the place where God speaks to you. See, your heart, if I can say it this way, the Bible talks about your heart. Sometimes the Bible talks about your spirit. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body, which the Bible talks about the temple of the Holy Spirit. Come on, some of us have skinny temples and some of us have fluffy temples. Come on, but you're still a temple. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, God, when he speaks to you, he's going to speak to your spirit. Why? Because God is a spirit. And your spirit craves spirit. But your flesh, guess what your flesh craves? Your flesh does not crave spirit. Your flesh craves flesh. Right? When you got up this morning, it wasn't your flesh. It was like, whoa, let's go to church. Come on, get up early. Your flesh was like, what? Come on, hit the snooze one more time. And your spirit on the inside is like, hallelujah. Come on, flesh. Let's go to church. Right? And you know what? There are people that are not here today because they didn't win the battle of the flesh, right? And you, you push through. You are like the Navy SEALs of the Christian faith, right? That's why the Bible says what is flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. The more you feed your spirit, guess what? It's going to get stronger. See, some of you are so healthy on the outside. You do CrossFit. Man, you do your burpees. You do all of these things. But your spirit, man, is about this big. And there's other of us, right? We don't look like we work out. Don't say amen. But our spirit on the inside, come on. I'm David Beckham on the inside. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. Now I'm preaching. Santo eres Señor. But at the end of the day, what's going to win out is your spirit. Now I'm not saying we don't take care of our temples. We, we need to. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. But what I'm saying is that that's where God speaks. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27 says this, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now here's the reality. If your heart is full of unforgiveness and bitterness, 
you could miss his voice. And you can make decisions in your life because it's not that God is not speaking. Listen, it's because there's so much pollution. You cannot differentiate what is God, what is hurt, what is healing, what is the voice that's coming into your life. So your heart is important. Number two, your heart is important because it's the place where your words come from. You want to know why people talk the way they do? It comes from their heart. Listen to this scripture. This scripture just wrecked me this week. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in where? Come on, say it. His heart. In his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in what? His heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In that verse, the heart is mentioned three times. Uh, God wants our heart. And the very, you, you want to know what an indication of where your heart is at? Listen to how you talk. Listen to how you talk to people. I'm just amazed. Maybe it's just a California thing. But man, people are so nice to their dogs. They actually, oh, come here, little Bentley. You're so nice. And then their spouse will come up. Hey, we're going to go eat. Hey! I don't care. Why don't you figure that out? Oh, Bentley, you showed me. You know what? Where does that come from? It comes from your heart. And so, in other words, if I want my words to change, my heart needs to change. Here's the number three, why your heart's important. It's the place where your issues come from. Right? Now, if I were to ask all of us how many have issues, all of us would raise our hands. At least we should. Because if I were to say today, how many of us have issues and you don't raise your hand, that is your issue. You lie, you fry, especially in church. Right? We all have things that are going on. Come on. Don't, don't look at me like you're Snow White out there. Come on. We all have issues. We all have issues. Okay, that's like four of you. We're here. The Holy Spirit's moving because he's starting. This is what he does first. He'll get you to admit that you got issues. I said, we all have issues. Yeah. Amen. Ooh, that took a while. A lot of denial in this place here. Holy Spirit, have your way. It's where your issues come from. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of your life. That word issues in the Hebrew means the boundaries. It's actually a word boundaries, the boundaries of your life. See, some of us are closed hearted, right? The boundaries are small, right? And some of us, our boundaries are big. The boundaries come from our heart. See, long before something happens in your life, it happens in your heart. It happens in your heart. Here's number four. This is why your heart is so important. It's the place where your believing comes from. It's where your believing comes from. See, Romans chapter 10, verse 10 says this, for it is with your, what is that word again? Come on, say it loud. With your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And I, if, I, if I could tell you one of the biggest reasons why Jesus says you need to forgive when you pray is because unforgiveness will quench your faith. It'll quench your faith. And what did our theme scripture say? Therefore, I say to you, what, whatsoever things you, when you ask for when you pray, you believe. See, unforgiveness will start to quench your believing. Unforgiveness will start to quench your faith. And guess what, my church family? You cannot please God without faith. 
You cannot please God without faith. And so you begin to get stuck. So many people are stuck in their relationship with God. You know why? Because they're stuck in unforgiveness. And it's not that God doesn't want to do stuff. It's not that he's not speaking and it's not that he wants, he's not loving on you. He is. It's all there. But guess what? There's an issue of the heart. And the Bible says that, man, prayer is... uh, in, in, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Listen, on earth as it is in heaven, through my prayers, I can bring heaven to earth. Come on, that is amazing. Man, prayer is this connection with God that you and I have. But some of us aren't experiencing that because of what's going on in our heart. It has quenched that faith. It's quenched that. And if we're honest, today, especially in today's age, people are offended. Have you ever been, have you been lately on Fightbook? I mean, Facebook, I'm sorry. Have have you been on Facebook lately? I mean, it's just people fighting, fighting, offended, offended and offended. And I'm offended that you're offended. I mean, this is where we live. This is the day today that we live in. And I I just don't even comment anymore because it doesn't matter what you say, right? People are going to come back and people want to fight. And I mean, is it just like everybody is offended over everything all the time? And you know what's interesting to me? What's interesting to me that as Christians, we're the most offendable people sometimes. I'm really amazed. We're the most offendable people, yet we serve a God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And you know why he died on the cross? He died on the cross so he could drop every offense that you and I have ever committed and he forgave us. And yet we're offended about stuff. Can I just tell you, as a Christian, one of the things that gets me and is my pet peeve, and I cannot stand to watch Christians fight with Christians in public. Because I know you think it's all about you, but it's not all about you. The world is watching. And I read some of these Facebook comments. And I'm going to be honest with you. You know what breaks my heart? It breaks my heart when I see people actually say, you guys are Christians. I'm not a Christian. And I'm looking at what you say. This is the reason I don't want to be a part of church. Listen. If we have something against you or you have something against me, we're supposed to handle it privately, not publicly in front of the world. And I'm going to say it because I need to say it. And I'm tired of preachers calling out other preachers publicly without going to them privately first. Because you know what? The world is watching. And then we wonder why they don't want to come to church. You know why? Because they look at us and they think we are just like them. And some of the world, to be honest with you, they have more tact than we do as Christians. Because we think it's our job to call out everybody. Who made you the Holy Spirit police? No one. Now the Bible says if we go and I come to you or you come to me and we talk and then it doesn't work out, then we are to go to elders. Then, But you know what? People don't want to talk. They want to text. And you know what? All of these things get misconstrued. And I just got to tell you, my church family, that the world is watching. Let's talk about offense. Let's talk about offense. Because the enemy wants to capitalize on your offense. And let me just, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to be real. You may get offended today. You may get offended during today's service, but it's okay. We're going to pray afterwards, have a great altar call. We'll pray for you. But we all have the opportunity to be offended. I get offended when I'm on the 15 highway. That's the most time that I get offended. The other day I was minding my own business, listening 
to some techno praise and worship. Come on, someone, because that's the best praise and worship, right? And my son is in the back. And we're going about 75 miles. I forgot we're recording. I was going about 65 miles an hour on the freeway, just driving down. Come on, somebody. In the presence of the Lord, experiencing the joy. And I got freaked out. To my right was a motorcycle. Right? And I didn't, I didn't see him. I was just in my lane. I made sure I was in my lane, doing my thing. And the next thing I know, I see this motorcycle. And he almost, with his hand, touches my truck, okay? And when I saw him, the other car in the other lane was in his lane too. We're both in our lanes. We're not doing anything wrong. And mind you, I had worship music on. Come on, that, makes, that takes it to a whole nother level. I don't know why, it just does. And I looked and he was right in between us and he almost touched my truck. Now, I was almost offended. And I'm going to tell you why. Because have you ever played that game, rock, paper, scissors, right? When somebody puts out the paper, if you put out the scissors, you can cut the paper. But if you put out paper and somebody puts out rock, then the paper covers the rock. But if somebody puts out the scissors and you put out the rock, rock covers scissors, And so if you've ever on the freeway and you apply that theology, truck covers motorcycle. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? And he almost touched my truck, putting me in jeopardy. Now, me is one thing, but my son is in the back. And then he drove by. This guy had the audacity to not only go between us, he was mad. I guess that we didn't split the Red Sea for him. But I was in my lane listening to worship music. We did do nothing wrong. And I said, Gavin, did you see that? He's like, look, Dad, he's telling you you're number one. (laughs) Right in the middle of the freeway, This guy is flipping me off. Can I say flipping in church? Is that okay? He's flipping me off on the 15 while I'm in my truck listening to worship music. And I got to tell you, it was an opportunity for me to get offended. And I want to say this. God has so worked in my life and in my temper, I could have made a huge mistake that day. Because I'm thankful for his peace because my foot did not go harder on the gas and everything inside of me was like, dude, you get your moody motorcycle self out of here. That's how I felt. But because I had worship music on and I was driving and I just kept on, he kept on. And actually he had some type of issue because more cars were coming and he was trying to direct traffic while he was driving his motorcycle. I'm saying to you that offense and the opportunity can happen every day, all the time. And here's what I want you to know. It's bigger than just you. The enemy has a tactic. And you know what really got my heart? This is what really got my heart. And it's funny because God's done such a work. I was actually caring about him because I thought if I would have hit this guy, do you know that what that would have done to me and him? I didn't do anything wrong. I was literally the victim. And, but just if I, if something would have happened, my life would have been wrecked because I never would want to do that. And here's what I want you to know. The enemy uses 
an, off- an offense to destroy your life. See, his agenda is total destruction in your life. But you know what his strategy is? His strategy is division. See, but he wants to, before he destroys your home, here's what he wants to do. He wants to divide your home. And you know how he divides your home? The tactic that he uses is offense. It's offense. And here's what he's going to do. One offense at a time. One offense at a time. And here's what I've learned about offense. Ready? Man, this is worth coming to church. Here is the breeding ground of offenses. Are you ready? The breeding ground of offenses is unmet expectations. When it comes to relationships, unmet expectations is the breeding ground for offenses. But you know what the breeding ground for unmet expectations is? Listen, unexpressed expectations. Unexpressed expectations are the breeding ground of unmet expectations. It can happen in our marriage. Maybe it has. You know, this lady grows up as a young lady. It's her birthday and her dad comes in and brings her pancakes, pumpkin spice pancakes, because it's October. Everything's pumpkin spice. He brings her pumpkin spice right when she's little on her birthday and gives her breakfast in bed. This young lady, she grows up, she gets married, and it's her birthday, and she wakes up, and hubby over there is still asleep. He doesn't got no pancakes. He doesn't got no pumpkin spice pancakes. But when she grew up, guess what? Daddy, you would always, oh, my little princess, here's your pancakes. Well, you know what? She wakes up now that she's married, and she can't even get hubby out of bed. She ain't getting no pancakes. And what is that? Unmet expectations. Same for us guys, right? Us guys, we grow up, and our mom, I mean, our mom is the chef. I mean, our mom can make everything. My mom knows what I want even before I want it. Come on, somebody. When I visit her, she has the food ready for me. Do I sound spoiled? Come on. That's mom. How many of you are moms like that? I mean, there's just nothing like mom, right? I mean, she just knows how you like it. If you like it a little crusty, a little soggy, she, she knows it. And you don't even have to say it. Mom knows it, right? I love my mom. Mom, she listens to my podcast. I love you. And then we get married, right? And I remember when I got married and Val and I had our first dinner. She cooked She cooked our first dinner. Can I just tell you, it was the best peanut butter and jelly sandwich I had ever had in my life. It was great. Made with tender, loving care. No, she's a great cook. But what am I saying? I'm saying to you that all of us can have unmet expectations that cause offense. And when you're Before marriage, right, it's like, ooh, opposites attract. But after marriage, opposites attack. Come on, somebody. (laughs) And there will be always opportunity for offense by others. And I just want to say this. I'm, I'm not here to minimize anything that's happened to anybody. I know that some things are deep. I know that there's been abuse. I, I, I totally understand that. But can I just tell you, the offense is the event but being offended is a decision. Do you know that day on the freeway, I've decided that when I exited, I'm not gonna think about those things anymore because something like that can happen. And you know this, it'll ruin your whole day. And here's what being offended does. Being offended always connects you to the past. 
It doesn't allow you to move forward. And if you're not careful, you can start training yourself to find offense. I've been around people. We're just talking about something and they'll bring, and they'll be like, oh, I can't, can you believe that person said that? And I was like, yeah, I heard that, but that's that really about, oh my goodness. Like, hey, just relax. You know, there's a story in the Bible when Esther, you can read it in Esther. Uh, there's a guy who was in the, the king's court. His name was Haman. And Haman, right, because he was in the king's court and was one of his chiefs, was coming through the courtyard one day. And the Jews were in exile. And you know what? When he started coming through his horse, with his horse, everybody started to bow. And you know what? All Everybody bowed except one guy named Mordecai. Mordecai was standing there, and he's, he knew as a Jew, he's like, I'm not bowing to any man. I only bow to God. But you know what? Haman, what he did, there were thousands of people that were bowing. He found the one person that wasn't bowing, and he pointed that person out. You know why? Because he was looking for the negative. He was looking for the offense. And that literally, if you read the story at the end of the day, cost him his life because he had a plot to kill Mordecai. He had a plot to kill all the Jews because one didn't bow. And if you're not careful, what will happen is offense will start to get you to and train you to point out the offense in other people. Is this good this morning? And here's the reality, my church family. It's hard to treat anyone right when your heart's not right. You can't worship properly. You can't connect to God's presence. And again, let me remind you, it's not God. It's your heart. And here's the truth when it comes to offense and unforgiveness and bitterness. The person that it affects most, the person that it hurts the most, is you. It's you. It's you. And when we don't, listen, Pastor Phil, why would you even put this in the prayer series? Because some people today, I believe, maybe here in the auditorium, but also listening to the sound of my voice on the podcast. Listen, what we don't understand is that when you don't forgive, it becomes a prison that you begin to live in. And this scripture right here wrecked me this week. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. You want to know how important this is? It says, a heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Do you know that word envy means a passion of anger will rot your bones. As a matter of fact, something that's going on in your heart eventually will affect your physical body. Come on, that's some tough words right there. And God is warning us. Listen, my church family, God is warning us because we can destroy ourselves in an effort to punish those who hurt us. I'm gonna say that again. We can destroy ourselves in an effort to punish those who hurt us. And in reality, the only people we're punishing is us. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of Nelson Mandela. Man, incredible story. He was in prison for 27 years, 27 years because he spoke out against the government and the injustices. He eventually became the president of South Africa. 27 years in prison. And listen to what he says. He says, and I quote, as I walked out of the door towards the gate that would lead me to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I would still be in prison. See, just because you walk out of the prison, he knew that if he didn't forgive, and let go that his life would become a prison. 
So let's end today with this. I want to give you five things or five truths about forgiveness. Are you learning something this morning? Let me give you five truths about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. And this comes from 20 years of counseling people. And I think one of the biggest reasons why people don't forgive is because they just have a misconception about it and they don't understand. Here's number one. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a choice that you make. Would you say that with me? Say forgiveness. Come on, say it loud. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is not a feeling. You know why? Because you never feel like it. There was, I, I don't care how good my coffee was in the morning, I still didn't want to forgive. And I had some pretty good coffee in the morning. Right? You, you, you're going to get out on the beach and there's the sun and the waves and maybe today are, you're never going to feel like forgiving. You know what you're going to feel like doing? You're probably going to feel like slapping them. You're probably going to feel like getting revenge. That's what you're probably going to feel like. But you know what? Forgiveness is never a feeling or an emotion. It's always a choice that you make. I wonder how Jesus was feeling on the cross, where Isaiah says that if you were to look at him on the cross, he was so marred, you couldn't even tell that he was a man. I don't think he was like tapping into his feelings going, oh, forgive them, Lord. You know, uh, they know not what they do. I just kind of felt that. Oh, no. As a matter of fact, he was dying for the very Roman soldiers that were pounding in the nails. And he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you know, I've used that terminology so many times in my life to forgive people. Because it is true. Sometimes people do not know what they are doing. Sometimes people do not know what's on them. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. My church family, there is a strategy against you from principalities and powers to try to use people to get you offended. And you know what? The enemy is not going to try mostly to get you from without. He's going to try to get you from within, within your heart, bitterness. And so I make a choice to forgive. I choose to give this offense to God. Lord, you take care of it. Listen, if, if, if you choose not to forgive, the person that you're imprisoning is you. Sneed said this, forgiveness is setting a prisoner free and finding out that that prisoner was you. Here's number two. Forgiveness doesn't condone what someone did to you. It never does. As a matter of fact, forgiveness doesn't say, I'm going to give you permission to do it again. I talked to somebody this week, and they were talking about a family member who was, who was just continually just abusive mentally. And, and, and I just said, listen, nowhere in the Bible does it say that we're supposed to be somebody's doormat. Come on, somebody. I, keep, I just feel like I keep getting stepped on. Well, you know what? Then get off the floor. You're not to be, a, we're supposed to love people, serve people, but let me just tell you this, there comes a point where you have to have some boundaries in your life where you say, I'm not gonna subject myself to this anymore. I will love you from a distance. From a distance. I love you, but you know what? Us being together and close is not good for our health, and I forgive you. But you know what? Forgiveness doesn't excuse their behavior. Come on, can you say a good amen? Forgiveness doesn't excuse their behavior. Forgiveness prevents their behavior from destroying your heart. Now, some of you just thought, how can I get away? I'm married to him. <laughs> well, then you need to go to counseling. Listen, counseling is a good thing. It's a really good thing because here's what counseling does. It allows you to open up your heart 
and it allows you to speak what's in there and get all of that stuff out. And you know, maybe if you're in here and you, your marriage is not where it needs to be, man, be the, hum, be, be the person with humility and say, you know what, my love? Hey, I, I just, even for me, I, I just think we need to get somebody else in here and help us because I want this relationship to work. And I am not saying here today in any shape or form that you forgive them, that you stay in the relationship, that you, the Bible's very clear about abusive relationships, that you can get out of those. Can you say a good amen? Here's number three. Forgiveness doesn't minimize the offense. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we just deny. No, there's nothing wrong. No, they didn't hurt me. No, 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 you're hurt. And I don't want to minimize that. But here's what we need to do. We need to let it go. We need to talk to God about it. And after we talk about it and after we let it go, listen, we let it go. And we let it go and we free our heart. Here's another one, number four. Forgiveness doesn't mean instant restoration of trust. I think people think, well, I forgive you. Okay, we're besties again. No, 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 no. That's not not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness just says, listen, I'm going to let it go. See, it takes one to forgive, but it takes two people to be reconciled. And sometimes, my church family, it's just not possible to be reconciled. You know why? One reason, sometimes they pass away. I know people that are still mad at someone who has passed away. They're dead. And it's ruining your life. And you can't talk to them. You can't. You know what you can do? You can forgive. You would be amazed how many counseling sessions I've done in over 20 years of pastoring with people who are mad at someone who's dead. And I get it. It never should have happened. I get it. They never should have. I understand. But are you going to choose to live with it for the rest of your life? Because now you're living in the past and you're blaming a dead person. Listen, at some point, my church family, and I'm sorry, this is where cover your toes because I may step on them. At some point in our lives, we have to take responsibility for who we are and what we are and stop blaming everybody else for our problems. I get it. I've been hurt too. You have. But what are we going to do? Oh, let's talk about our hurt and nurse it and rehearse it and nurse it and rehearse it and nurse it and rehearse it. And then we look around and we got no friends. Because at some point, people are going to go like, all right, when are you going to take responsibility for this and say, listen, I can't undo what has happened, but I can do something today. And I decide today to let it go. And it's not going to have a hold on me for the rest of my life. I will be free in Jesus' name. I prayed for people who won't let stuff go. And guess what? God is willing and able, but it's their heart. Hold on. And here's the thing. You're holding on to the wrong thing. Don't hold on to the hurt. Hold on to the healing. Let it go. They have found now that, you know what, exactly what we read in Proverbs 14.30 about envy rottening your bones, that cancer, arthritis, now can come because of bitterness. My church family, God cares about you. But let me just say this. It doesn't mean when you forgive that all of a sudden you have to trust them anymore. Listen, forgiveness is given instantly, but trust needs to be earned. So Pastor Phil, at what point can I have a relationship with him? And how deep can that relationship be to the point that you can trust them? And trust is earned. I think 
We get that and love confused. Yes, you're, <laughs> I love everybody, but I don't trust them. I want to say it over here because I felt like this room just like received that. I love everybody, but I don't trust them. See, and we think sometimes as Christians, I'm just supposed to trust everybody in life. No, we believe the best, but uh, there's got to be some equity in that relationship that you show me. Uh, you are who you say you are. Come on. Right? That's going to be with my son. I love my son, but he's going to have to prove to me that I can trust him in certain things. And he proves to me that he, I can trust him when he obeys my word. And then he gets more privileges. But it doesn't mean, listen, that restoration of trust is immediately. Here's the last one for today. Are you, are you glad you came to church today? Number five, forgiveness is putting the situation in the hands of God. Here's what forgiveness says. I let go of the debt that you owe me. And I give that to God. My church family, I think sometimes in these moments, God's a just God. And he loves everybody. But the Bible doesn't say that vengeance is wrong. The Bible says that vengeance is God's. And I, I, I see people trying to get vengeance. Can I just tell you, God can wake people up at night. While you're sleeping, if somebody did injustice to you, just give it to God. You know what? The first thing God wants, number one, is for them to be saved. They need to be saved. They need to know God and have a vibrant relationship with him. But you know what? Leave all of the retaliation and not leave it to God. He will take care of it. You know, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says, when Jesus suffered, he did not threaten to get even. In the Living Bible, it says this, he left his case in the hands of God. And if you don't give it to God, it's gonna be like a rope that's tied to your past. And here's the ironic thing. You didn't like those people to begin with anyway. So why are you still tied to them? Because unforgiveness always ties you to the past. Unforgiveness always is a chain of what happened yesterday. And people are losing their todays and their tomorrow because they're still chained to the past of a hurt that happened. My church family, I've talked to people 15 years, 20 years, and it's still eating them on the inside. And their health is deteriorating and they will not let go. And I got to tell you, that is not God's will for your life today. And the truth is, You've been forgiven by God much without condition. That's why I always tell people, forgive in advance. Let me give you a good word. You may have to forgive someone today on your way home or tonight. You have to forgive, especially you have to be quick to forgive if you're married. Come on, somebody. You're going to get offended. There's going to be things that aren't met. Expectations that need to be talked through. It happens. But you know what? You have to be quick to forgive. And forgiveness can save some people from divorce if you'll just talk and forgive. Because, listen, Snow White, you're not that perfect either. Right? Prince Charming, you're not that perfect either. We're not. We're imperfect people trying to have a perfect marriage. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage, there's great marriage. But here's the reality is we have to forgive abundantly. And you today, as we close, are empowered to forgive. You know why you are? Because God has forgiven you. 
God has forgiven you of every sin that you will ever commit. I want to close with the scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Look, my standard is not whether that person forgave me. Well, I'll forgive them if they forgive me. No, no, no. My standard is Jesus Christ because he forgave me of everything. How can I hold on to something you did to me? He forgave me. If I put my sins all up on that screen, some of you would never come back to church. Come on, somebody. BC before Christ, oh my goodness. But you know what? Thank God for his blood. He has cleansed me of all my unrighteousness, all of my sins. He forgave me much and does not hold it to my account. And because he has forgiven you much, you are empowered to forgive much. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.